Amen. Well, hey, wherever you're at right now, what a, how about you give Jesus a good hand clap of praise? Come on. <laughs> Amen. You know what I love about worship is that no matter where we are, we have the opportunity to sing out praises, to glorify and honor God because He is worthy of our praise. He's the same God if we're in church or if we're in Walmart. Come on, right now, to make it through Walmart, you're going to need God. And, uh, and so we just love the fact that we can praise God and worship Him no matter where we are. I want to say good morning to you, wherever you're tuning in from. My name is Nick Newman. I am privileged to be the lead pastor here at Propel Church. And I want to say thanks for joining us. You could be doing anything right now. There's probably a lot of things that are fighting for your attention, but you chose intentionally to make church a priority. And right now, I want you to do me a favor and hit the share button. Share this message with your friends. I'm going to teach to you today from the topic of failure isn't Final, And so I know that you've got some people in your life that need to hear an encouraging word from God's truth and that they can hear that really the mistakes that they've made don't define who they are in Jesus' name. And so we're in week two of a message series called Subject to Change. We kicked it off last week and I talked about being frustrated but flexible. And so if you didn't get a chance to watch that, you can find that on our website. You can go to propel.church slash online and find that there. But we're so excited to be in this message series because we believe that it's no coincidence that God laid it on our heart to start this series at that time. And now we have the opportunity to really dig in and dive in to see what God has for us today through his word. I want to talk to you for a second about the life of Peter. Now, Peter uh, experiences so many difficulties in his walk with Christ. And I relate with Peter so much. And Peter's life is really a testament to the fact that failure isn't final. And so if you have a Bible, uh, let's go to Matthew chapter 14 beginning in verse 22. I'm going to pull out some things from the text. I'm going to read a few verses and then uh, after that give you a point. So if you're taking notes, uh, it's going to be available on the screen. If you're not taking notes, I would encourage you to go find something and take some notes because you're going to want to remember this. Matthew chapter 14 verse 22 says this, Now, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and go across to the other side of the lake. Now, what's been happening is Jesus has been doing ministry, and Jesus is about to uh, go. It says in verse 23, after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Come on, Jesus was practicing some social distancing. (laughs) He, uh, He was taking a second to disconnect from the world. He was taking a moment to withdraw because what Jesus really understood is the difference between uh, isolation and solitude. And solitude is where you and I disconnect from the world for the purpose of connecting with God. Isolation is where we disconnect from the world for the purpose of disconnecting from the world. Isolation is not healthy and not from God, but solitude is. And so Jesus practiced this often. You'll see Jesus do ministry, but then he takes a second to withdraw and spend time with God. Now, you probably have some more time on your hands right now. So I would just encourage you, man, take some time. Model what Jesus does to disconnect from everything, to go and pray by yourself for a few minutes. And if you have a bunch of kids, lock yourself in the bathroom for 10. And so... (laughs) It says this, continuing in verse 23, And night fell while he was there alone. And meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land. 
for a strong wind had risen. And they were fighting against heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on water. And when the disciples saw him walking on water, they were terrified in their fear. They cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once and said, don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. The first thing I want you to know this morning, if you're taking notes, is that fear ceases in the presence of God. Fear ceases in the presence of God. Scripture is really clear that God did not give you and I a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. That fear doesn't come from God, and when God enters into the middle of your situation, fear actually begins to cease. These disciples were stuck in fear. There's waves crashing around them. There's complete chaos and panic. And in this moment, as Jesus begins to speak, he doesn't say, yo, it's me, it's all good. He says, take courage. A lot of times what people teach you is that the opposite of fear is faith. And while I think there's some good preaching points in that, the opposite of fear is courage because it's courage in the right things. Jesus doesn't say, hey, just have a little more faith. He looks at him and he, they, he says, take courage. And right now we're surrounded and living in a world that's full of fear. People are consumed with the fear of the unknown and what ifs and the what could be with the situation that we have going on in the States right now. But when Jesus speaks to the middle of your situation, ultimately fear begins to cease. When Jesus begins to show up in the middle of your circumstance, in the middle of your uncertainty, in the middle of your doubt, your worry, and your concern, fear subsides. And so you may be thinking right now, well, Jesus isn't showing up in my situation. He's not speaking to the fear that I have. But the good news of Scripture is that 365 times in the Bible, the word do not fear is given to you and I. 300, you have a verse a day to speak over yourself that brings the truth that every single day God is speaking to your situation and proclaiming that fear has no place in your life. So you and I have to understand that when Jesus steps into our situation, fear subsides. Let's continue reading in Matthew chapter 14. In verse 28, it says this. So then Peter called to him and said, Hey, Lord, if it's, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on water. See, Peter saw an opportunity. Peter, Peter is standing in the boat with the rest of the disciples who are afraid and are terrified. But if Jesus is out there on the water... Man, Peter wants to be with him. I love what Moses teaches us. And he says, Lord, if, if there's a place that I'll go that you won't go with me, I don't want to go. Because where Jesus is, where the presence of God is, is ultimately where you and I should desire to be. Because it's in the presence of God where we find peace, fulfillment, and purpose. So Peter's talking to him. He says, come to me walking on water. And so Jesus says, yes, come. So Peter went over the other side of the boat and he walked on water towards Jesus. The second thing I have for you today is that you can't experience all of God in the safety of the boat. Now the only safety that these disciples had was in the boat that they were in. If they were in the middle of the ocean and a storm came, really there would be no hope, but the boat represents a place of safety. It represents a place of comfort where the disciples would have, even though they were afraid, have felt a little sense of security. 
And oftentimes to experience the most that God has for you, you have to allow yourself to not feel secure so that you can become secure in him. In order to experience all of God, you're going to have to get out of the boat sometimes. And it's the getting out of the boat moments when our faith is really activated. Because fear will cause you and I to keep our feet planted where God has clearly said to move. But it's faith that begins to take those next steps, even when we don't understand how it's going to work. Peter's never gone through a walking on water seminar. There wasn't an e-course for him to go through or a 12-week discipleship initiative that Jesus taught on walking on water. Peter simply knew that Jesus was on water and that when Jesus said to come to him, that it was an invitation and that God hadn't brought him this far to drop him now. He knew that in the safety of the boat, he would be an ordinary follower. But really, if he wanted to experience all that God had, it was getting out of the safety and the comfort of the boat that would allow him to experience all that God had in his life. And I don't know what areas of your life you currently find safety in or where you currently find comfort, but here's what I do know. You're going to have to drop it in order to experience all that God has for you. Last week, we talked about in our frustrated but flexible uh, message that you have to become comfortable being uncomfortable. If I was in Peter's shoes, I would probably have a few concerns as Jesus told me to come walk on water. (laughs) Come on, if we read the text, literally, Peter's looking at him and Peter just jumps over the other side of the boat. And like, if I'm Peter, I'm going, how in the world is this going to work out? But, you know, I've had similar moments like that in my life. When Tori and I started Propel Church, there was a moment where I just looked at her and said, how in the world is Is this going to work out? And I can trace back all the miracles that we've seen God do and all the blessings that we've seen and experienced in our walk with Him. And they always came after moments of us choosing to leave the safety of what was known and step into what was unknown. It was in the moments of stepping out of the boat where we really got to see who God is and what He's capable of. And so Peter steps out on the boat, and this is what it's out of the boat, and this is what it says in. Verse 30, but when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. But Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Now, it's interesting that Jesus says, you have so little faith. Dude jumped out of the boat and tried to walk on water. (laughs) I'd call that extraordinary faith. (laughs) I'd call that exponential faith. Because he had enough faith and courage to get out of the boat, he just made a little mistake along the way. So it says that, he said, why'd you doubt me? When he climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. The third thing I want you to know this morning is that God rescues us in the storm, not from the storm. Notice that the storm never stopped until Peter was back in the boat. So Peter gets out of the boat, right? Let's talk about Peter's faith for a moment. He's not just believing that he can walk on water. He's believing that he can walk on water in the middle of a storm. As the wind is moving and the waves are crashing around him, Peter's stepping out on water, and God is still the same God whether you're in a storm or you're not in a storm. God is the same God when you're going through chaos or when you're in times of peace. And the good news for Peter is that he rescues Peter and then the storm stops. 
The storm was going while Peter was walking on water. The storm didn't have to end, and then God could do something. No, God did something in Peter's life in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of when turmoil is going on. That's when God is at work. I think sometimes what you and I really want is we want God to just rescue us from the storms we're experiencing. But what God wants to do is show us that he's a rescuer in the middle of the storm. That he shows up for us exactly when we need it because he's a God who shows up at just the right time. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3, God doesn't rescue them from the fire. He rescues them in the middle of the fire. Because he shows you and I that he's not just the God of the storm, but he's the God of the fire. That when you're going through turmoil and chaos, he's not just trying to rescue you from it because there's a valuable lesson in it. And if you and I just get removed from it, we'll never learn what he wants us to learn in it. And so God shows up in the middle of our storm, in the middle of our trial, in the middle of our chaos to prove that he's still the same good and perfect God who rescues people in the middle of trouble. That's how good God is. Maybe God doesn't want to just remove the storms that you're experiencing in your life, but he wants to show you that he's still God no matter what you're currently facing. I think it'd be really easy and tempting for you and I in these moments to get so focused on the storm that we forget he's still God. He's the God above the storm. He's the God above it all. He's the God who is unending and has a relentless pursuit of those who don't know him. He's a God who rescues people over and over and over again. And notice that the only time Peter began to sink sank sink sancted (laughs) the only time Peter went under the water was the moment that he took his focus off of Jesus it's easy for you and I in times like this to focus on the storm because truthfully the storm around us is loud things are moving things are shaking It's kind of frightening at times. But when you and I lose focus off of Jesus, we'll begin to get off mission. We'll begin to get off purpose. We'll begin to stop experiencing all the things that God has for us because for a moment, as we take our focus off of Jesus and we put it onto the storm, what we're actually doing is saying, I believe that my storm is bigger than my God. He was God enough to walk on water in the middle of the storm. He was God enough to call Peter to get out of the boat and walk on water. He's God enough for the first 10 steps that Peter takes. But then all of a sudden, that storm kept coming. The storm looked a little big. And as Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus, he begins to drown. And what the scripture says in Matthew chapter 30 is that Peter was terrified and began to sink. So if you want to know what fear will cause you and I to do is ultimately fear will put you and I in the position where we're too afraid to, to trust God and we'll begin to sink. But, but look at what this says. This is the picture of salvation. So Peter began to sink and then as he's sinking, Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him after Peter cried out, save me. That's salvation. Jesus doesn't look at Peter who's starting to drown and go, you know what? Good luck. When Peter cries out help, 
Jesus is immediately there to rescue him. And no matter what situation you find yourself in today, what uncertainty or circumstance that you're in, you need to know if you simply call out to the name of Jesus, he will rescue you. If you're currently stuck in your sin and you're drowning right now, you need to know the good news of the gospel is that he is a God who rescues people when they call out for help. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever means everybody. Because God's heart, according to 1 Peter, is that no one would perish. So by you and I calling out to Jesus, he immediately steps in and rescues us. This is the beauty of salvation. And one of the reasons I want you to know that failure isn't final is because you and I, by simply calling out to the name of Jesus, he will rescue us every single time. And you say, well, what, what about you know, this situation that I did, or if God only knew. Well, God's all-knowing. Your sin doesn't surprise Him. Your mistakes aren't a shock to Him. In fact, He already knows it and knew it, and He still chose to send Jesus to die in your place. He knew your faults, your flaws, and your failures, and He said, I want a relationship with you because I love you. That's the good news of the gospel. So this is what it says in verse 32. So it says, when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped, and then all the disciples, I want you to circle that word all, all the disciples worshiped him. They said, you really are the son of God, they exclaimed. Fourth point for you this morning is this, you can worship while you're wet. You can worship while you're wet. See, Peter has started to drown. He's in the middle of the ocean. Peter is soaking wet, and him and Jesus get back into the boat. He's kind of been scolded a little bit for his lack of faith. But Scripture lets you and I in on the fact of verse 33, that as soon as they get back into the boat, every single disciple began to worship. That every single disciple begins to sing praises to God. And one of the tactics of the enemy is to convince you and I that we can't worship until we dry off. That we can't worship until we become clean. We can't worship until we fix whatever situation we have going on in our life. But the truth of the gospel is that even when we're wet, we can worship because God hasn't changed at all. Even when we've messed up, even when we've made mistakes, the reason why failure isn't final for you and for me is because we can worship God no matter what circumstance or situation we're going through. So if you've made a mistake, good news, you're considered to be in the same boat as Peter, who was a disciple of Jesus. The same person that God said, I will build my church upon this guy, the guy who couldn't even walk on water, that guy, the guy who messed up, the guy who denied me. I'm going to build my church, the bride of Christ, the thing I love, on this rock. Peter's the guy who God chose to do so much through, and yet he's still the guy who made faults and had flaws and failures. You can worship while you're wet. One of the tactics of the enemy is to convince you and I that we can't come to God. But what Peter didn't let himself do is let a mistake keep him from the one who was capable and able of rescuing him. So I want to give you three things uh, really quick. If you're stuck in a mistake that you've made in your past and you want to worship while you're wet, the first thing that you need to do is acknowledge your mistake. Just acknowledge it. Look, you and I could beat around the bush, and sometimes I think one of the biggest problems 
in the local church is that we're not willing to call sin, sin. We're not willing to actually address it. And here's what I've learned. If you ignore a problem, it doesn't go away. It just amplifies. So you and I could beat around the bush and we, we could go, well, you know, it wasn't really lying because I own your faults. We all have faults. We all make mistakes. And if you acknowledge your mistake, you're on the fast track to freedom. Scripture is also clear that, that one of the best things you can do is not just acknowledge your mistakes to yourself, but that you need to tell somebody. James 3 or 6 something says 516. There we go. Come on. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other that you might find healing. You should maybe tell somebody what you're struggling with today. Acknowledge your mistake. The second thing is this. Receive grace from God. Receive grace. There's, um, I call it crap theology. I mean, I don't really know what to, to, to say other than that. But there's some false teaching out there that really um, what you need to do is learn to forgive yourself. And unfortunately, what we don't see in Scripture anywhere is that you need to forgive yourself. The inability to forgive yourself is actually the inability to receive God's grace. Because you're still choosing to hold yourself accountable for a sin that God has already forgiven you and given you grace for. So receive His grace. If you've acknowledged your sin before God, trust in the fact that this sin is not going to be something that God continues to hold over you. Because when He forgives you of your sin, He declares that it is finished. And the third thing is this. Continue to move forward in God's plan. So Peter gets back into the boat. They all begin to worship. And then scripture says this. After they crossed the lake, they landed at Gerasenet. And when the people recognized Jesus, the news of his arrival spread throughout the whole area quickly. And soon people were bringing their sick to be healed. And they begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe. And all who touched him were healed. Now, it's easy for you and I to let a mistake or a, a fault that we have derail us from God's plan. But what it doesn't say is that when Jesus and the disciples got to the other side of the lake, he put Peter on a three-week probationary period. He benched Peter. He let the disciples continue to do ministry, but he told Peter to go home for a few weeks and think about what he had done. No, the disciples began to go right back to work. They began to go right back into God's plan. They began to continue to move forward and do all the things that they were called to do by God. Because even when you make a mistake, even when you mess up, this last point that I have for you is this. Failure doesn't disqualify you from God's plan. Jeremiah 29, 11, I said it last week and I'll say it again. God declares, for I know the plans that I have for you. They're plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And if you've made a mistake, if you've messed up at all, the good news for you and for me is that failure doesn't disqualify us from God's plan. In fact, if you look all throughout Scripture, one of the things that you're going to see is that what failure actually does is it makes you the perfect candidate for God's grace and the perfect person for Him to use. We see all throughout Scripture that God has a tendency, and not just a tendency, it's a methodology of using imperfect people for his perfect mission. And so if you're looking, if you're hearing me say this right now, and you're saying, hey, you know what, Pastor, that sounds really good, but but man, I just believe that I've, I've made too many mistakes. 
what you have to do for a moment is stop relying on your feelings and trust in the truth of God's word, which Romans says that he loved you so much that he would send Jesus to die in your place while you were still sinning. That God knew you would sin. He knew you had faults, flaws, and failures, and he would choose to send his son Jesus to die in your place. And I believe that there's some of you today who need to give your life to Christ. There's some of you who are already following Jesus, and what you need to do is begin to actually receive God's grace for those situations. If God no longer holds you accountable for those things that you've done, why are you still doing it? Allow God to pour out his grace to you and receive it because scripture says it's a gift. But if you're here today and you're watching this and you say, you know what, I've, I've let my past define me. I, I realized that I thought I had to clean myself up before I came to Jesus. Here's what I want you to do today. I want you to accept the truth of God's word which says that failure doesn't disqualify you from his plan. And I want you to take the next step to begin a relationship with Jesus. So for just a moment, wherever you're at, will you say this prayer with me? Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, we are so excited for those of you who just made a decision for Jesus. And I want to let you know that one of the best things you can do right now, if you said yes to Jesus today, is let us know. We would love to connect with you and give you some resources. You can go to propel.church slash online for that. And we would love to connect with you there. And I also want to say thank you for those of you who partner with us financially. Your generosity is making a difference. We are so grateful for that. And when I think about generosity and think about the heart of God, I love what John 3.16 says. For God so loved the world that he gave. And as God gives, you and I as followers of Jesus want to model the heart posture of God, which is to give. And so, just because we're not gathering in person doesn't mean that we're not still giving because our giving is not to the church, it's through the church. Ultimately, our giving is to God. And so if you'd like to partner with us financially, you can do that by going to propel.church slash online. Thanks to your generosity, people who got to see today's message are going to experience eternity with Jesus, and we're so grateful for it. Thanks for tuning in online this week, and we'll see you soon.